welcome to episode 120 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the painfully 80s fantasy. This week we're going to be talking about Willow on your The Bones Tell Me Nothing podcast. I'm Mandy Kay, and you can find me on Twitter at Mandy Kay if you want to just marvel at everything I still haven't seen. And I'm Matthew Vose. You can find me on Instagram slash MatthewVose81 if you want to see all the exciting baking I'm about to have to do. Wait, you have to do baking? Uh, when is this coming out? Yes, it's coming up to my dad's birthday. So uh, I've been asked to do a cake for him. But I think this episode comes out after that. So I'm going to run with it. Okay, <laughs> perfect. Baking. <laughs> Um, You are going to hear us mention this for the next several shows, but we are taking a survey of all of our listeners, and we would love it if you could participate. It's going to help us learn more about you, no matter how long you've been a listener or how frequently you listen to the show. It is quick, easy, and anonymous, so if you would like to help us out, please go to eloquentgushing.com slash survey. And a quick tip from feedback we've had, uh, try doing it on a browser, on a desktop or a laptop rather than your phone. Uh, a couple of people have said it reset their answers when they came off to go and look at something else. So, yeah, do it yeah. on a browser. Yeah, sorry to the two people who reported that, whose names have now <laughs> slipped my mind, having just read it um, a minute ago. Anna I knew it was actually, Garrett. it was at least three different people who clicked on the link in Twitter and it just completely messed them up. So, yeah. Yeah. Browser. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And as you can hear from the wonderful laughter in the background, we are delighted to welcome Rachel Newberry back to the show. Yay! um, Longtime listeners may remember her from way back on episode 58 when she came on to talk about The Incredibles with us. Rachel is a longtime friend of the show and podcaster herself. You can hear more from her on Wonking Out and The Detective, The Doctor, and The Woman. So welcome back, Rachel. I'm so glad you're here. I am thrilled to be here as well. Was it really episode 58? I was trying to remember. Well, I had no idea what number it was. But I was like, it's yeah, it was a wild. long time ago. It Yikes. doesn't feel like it was that long ago. No, it doesn't. But I guess if I think about it, it really was. But um, yeah, I'm so happy to be back for another episode. Um, I've been listening to the show since the beginning, and I had a blast talking about The Incredibles with you. And I'm really excited for the opportunity to talk about a classic favorite of mine, Um if you're aware of me on Twitter at all, you may know that I have a cat named Willow. He is male. He is named after the titular character. So, yeah, this is one of my oh, favorites. I always assumed that it was Willow from Buffy. And I don't even know if you're a fan of Buffy. I nope. just assumed that if I know you, you're a fan of you're you like Buffy. And so <laughs> I am a fan of Buffy. I am a fan of Buffy. But no, this is uh, boy Willow. Oh, I did. But not he know does. That. He gets. Wonderful. He does get um, misgendered by vets all the time because he is so pretty. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Rachel, tell us when you first watched Willow and why it's been such a lasting favorite of yours. When is a really good question. Um, This movie came out when I was five, I think. So I'm fairly confident I did not see it at that time, but I was probably eight or ten it, it was a big favorite of my father's. Uh, he's the one that got me into science fiction and fantasy. Um, I blame him for all of this. So, okay. <laughs> uh, so it was one of his favorites. And we watched it probably fairly regularly when I was a kid. It was one that was pretty, quote unquote, safe, I guess. Mm-hmm. Not too scary, except the end. 
sometimes uh, my mom wasn't too thrilled, you know, about, you know, people getting turned into pigs. She thought that was just gross. And I'm not sure those kids should be watching it. <laughs> but as long as we watched it with my dad, then we were okay. <laughs> I don't know that we actually ever owned a copy. It was a weird thing. Like my dad would watch a lot of sci-fi and fantasy, but we didn't own much of it except for Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But I blame that on kind of my um, fundamentalist Christian upbringing. So it was this weird relationship with magic and fantasy. Mm, we watched it yeah. a lot. And I think I actually bought my dad the DVD uh, six or seven years ago. Okay. Which may have been the first time he actually owned a copy. But we would watch it all the time. Yeah. Okay. Nice. So, Mandy, this is an age-appropriate kids classic for us. How come you've not seen Willow? Well, okay. So, like Rachel, I was five when it came out. And I didn't know I liked fantasy until I was in college. So it just wasn't something I was ever interested in. Um, my favorite movies when I was a kid, like in the 8 to 10 range, were like Dirty Dancing and romance movies. Yes, I liked them even then. <laughs> you know, and also The Little Mermaid and, you know, princess movies. Um, and I guess the Dirty Dancing kind of qualifies in that genre. Um so I just never watched it. I've always been aware of the movie, um, mostly in a that's really bad 80s fantasy kind of way. I don't know why. Mm, possibly fair. We'll dig into that in a little bit. Um, so a bit of history for everyone. Willow is a 1988 fantasy film. It was directed by Ron Howard and stars Warwick Davis, Val Kilmer, Joanne Wally and Jean Marsh. The story was developed by George Lucas when he was developing well-known mythological situations for a young audience and created a few of those stories into films with greater or lesser success. <laughs> when he was working on Return of the Jedi, Lucas approached Davis about playing the lead character Willow, but it would be several years before casting took place. They went into full production when they felt the technology could cope with the demands of the story and successfully execute a fantasy film. Some of the effects developed for Willow would go on to be the basis of effects used in Terminator 2 and in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Willow was moderately successful. It made $57 million at the box office. It became highly profitable after strong international and home video performances. It may be worth noting that Lucasfilm retained the home video rights for this one in their deal with MGM, and they then sold them on for a further $15 million to RCA Columbia. Interesting. He's He's good at that deal stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Making money left and right. Yeah. Forever. So he, he kept the license rights to, you know, products sold off uh, Star Wars, and Star Wars was the first thing that sold lots of extra products. Interesting. Mm. <laughs> Guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> Mandy, do you want to tell us a bit what it's about? I can sure try. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So this movie is an odd cross between Snow White, The Ten Commandments, and Lord of the Rings. Except the ring is a baby and you want to keep it alive instead of destroy it. See, I never really thought about it as a cross between uh, Lord of the Rings and well, specifically, I guess, The Ten Commandments. But the, Which I don't know why I missed that. Because especially when I was watching it this time, I was like, well, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a baby in a basket made yeah, out of it's weeds. A, it's a baby in basket there you yeah. go yeah. um and and so then uh, you know after i put that together i was like matthew's not gonna let that stand so i went and looked at the imdb uh synopsis and even they just say a reluctant dwarf must play a critical role in protecting a special baby from an evil queen 
And I'm sorry that can describe so many, so many other movies. It's Moses. It's Moses. With dwarves. And, yeah, it is. And it's Snow White because there's a dwarf and an evil queen and it's just so mm-hmm. much. Yeah. We can talk about some of that later, though, but I, it's very odd. It's an odd amalgamation of other movies that we, we know. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, Rachel, do you own this one now? Did you still have to go and get it from Blockbuster or something? Uh, yes, for Blockbuster. Uh, no. Um, I do, actually, uh, my boyfriend got me a Blu-ray for my birthday, oh, so nice. I watched it that way. Um, so it was a blue, the Blu-ray digital, so I think I watched the digital. But. Cool. Yeah, I was like, I don't know why I don't have this movie. Nice. I have to ask, whenever they converted it to Blu-ray, did they, like, update any of the special effects to be done digitally, or no. is it just the same, just in higher no. quality visual? Yes, it's the same. And I now have a um, 52-inch television. And I don't think I've watched it on (laughs) this TV. (laughs) I was like, oh. Oh, that's wonderful. Sometimes I was like, oh, this is great. And then, oh, my. (laughs) Some of the special effects. I was like, oh. (laughs) Yep, the 80s. I think I read it as a new transfer. So they've cleaned it up at least. But... Yeah, I don't think yeah. they've done any extra work on it. Right. I would, I'd say, I mean, it looked, overall, I mean, it looked pretty good. But, nice. you know, in some of the areas, like the brownies, you know, <laughs> yeah. the, the out, you know, the outline, it's just like, they're just like floating around. <laughs> like, that's what this movie needed. Mandy, how were you able to watch it? Um. Well, I do not have the Blu-ray, um, but it is available to rent on Amazon. Nice, and and it's exactly the same over here, um, rentable from Amazon. Although it was on TV uh, not too long ago, uh, I was watching something else oh, that nice. I had recorded on the DVR, and it had adverts for Willow during it. Yeah. And it, it's it's exactly the sort of film that I imagine just being on TV constantly. Yeah, okay. I, think, I feel I, like that makes sense. I've seen it when I used to have live TV, and I would scroll through like the guide mm. looking for stuff. I feel like I would see Willow being there like on some channel like sci-fi or fx or something um i just never never watched it i was gonna say i feel like they could do some kind of you know other movies that directors you know and love have made run that they would include willow in you know things like Mm. et and willow and not not that et is a lesser known movie but (laughs) that type of thing it kind of did you know that because i don't know that i ever I know I did not make the connection that George Lucas was involved in this movie until I was probably in high school. Yeah, I had no idea when I sat down to watch it, you know, and it it showed up as a a Lucasfilm production. I was like, what? And then it was like Ron Howard's name and then story by George Lucas. I was like, how have I never known any of these things? If I had known those things, I probably would have watched it much sooner. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing. I think Ron, like Ron Howard... I didn't really kind of like get who that was for a number of years either. So this was like kind of just a movie that I liked that I watched all the time and I didn't really understand its larger significance <laughs> until. Right. Well, okay. So let's dig into those people. Um, Ron Howard and then obviously Val Kilmer and Warwick Davis. Mandy, have you seen them in anything? Have you seen other work they've done? Well, I mean, Ron Howard is always going to be Opie. But I guess he's also a good director. And maybe you don't know who Opie is. I, I know it from 
references. I'm okay. sure it's referenced in a Bloodhound Gang song. Um, <laughs> but that's that's oh. not a show that made it over here. Oh, okay. Well, and it may be just more more popular in in my frame of reference because it was set in North Carolina. Ah, okay. Like the the town Mayberry is based on um, mm-hmm. Mount Airy in North Carolina. Aunt B was from here, um, so maybe I'm just more familiar with the Andy Griffith show than normal people would be. Uh, I but I wouldn't say necessarily. I mean, maybe maybe a little bit. Like I don't think that I realized that it was a North Carolina thing. Mm-hmm. But, and you know, I grew up. We didn't watch much television at all, and I am very familiar with the Andy Griffith Show because it's you know, it's it was safe and wholesome. Fun. Yes, it was. Exactly. You're <laughs> so, allowed to watch. I knew what that was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I mean, he he's a good director, and he's done a lot of really great movies. Um, you know, some that we haven't seen on the show yet that I think we're going to, um, like Splash. One day we'll get to that. Well, that, yeah, um, that yeah. was a question. Is, is Splash one you have or haven't seen? I have not. It's on the list. Okay. okay. Um, but we have. I, we, we've talked about him on the show before because we did Parenthood and he directed absolutely. that. Mm. You know, and oh, he right, did right. Apollo 13 and The Da Vinci Code. And wow, he directed Solo. I did not know that. Well. He was the. Mm. He kind of did. <laughs> he was like the 15th person to direct that film. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> he was well, the on final. On Wikipedia he page, it says he did. <laughs> Um, let's see who, ne- who next Warwick Davis. Um, I have always known Warwick Davis by sight and name, but I don't know why I really don't. Um, but now he's professor Flitwick. So probably star Wars. Yeah. I mean, I mean, is he though? I feel like that's what I knew him from. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was that, well, wasn't he, didn't he also do the, um, Oh, you know, like that extra movie that they did, the the other Endor movie, wasn't he in that as well? The, the Ewoks Battle for Endor. Yeah. The, mm. Yes. He was in. He's an Ewok, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I wouldn't know that and, because you're in costume. I mean, so Matthew yeah. tweeted at me a video of um, uh, all of the Warwick Davis characters in the Star Wars world, and mm-hmm. he was in yeah, like, look like full on costume with masks and all of them. Maybe I was just told. I mean, I feel like, you know, because I did watch Star Wars and, yeah, the battle for Endor. But by this point, he is now Mr. Star Wars. He does so much of the presentations. He uh, does the interviews at things like Star Wars Celebration. I, I got to see him yeah. interviewing Carrie Fisher for like an hour. It was wonderful. Okay. Oh, that's and they, awesome. They, they then recreated the bit where she meets Wicket. It was good. Although, although her dog got really confused by her hiding with him and started barking at him. So that was good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Interesting. That's great. Yeah, I don't... I just feel like I've always just known who he was. That's what I feel like. And, like, even just looking at the cover of Willow, I always knew that Willow starred Warwick Davis, even though I never watched it. And I just always knew what he looked like. I always equated him with the long hair that he has in Willow. So maybe that's where it came from for me. I don't know. Maybe. He just looks, you know, every time I watch this, I think I'm like, oh, he looks so young. I mean, he was young. Yeah. He was so young, but he looks like, you know, super young, very, almost like a child, which I'm sure, you know, partially owing to his size. But because, you know, like you, Mandy, I've seen him as Professor Flitwick and 
He played by the Goblin, I think, as well. And yeah, I was going to say, wasn't Harry he several Potter things movies? in Harry Potter? Yes. Yeah. He was the two or three characters, I think, that I can think of. Okay. And, and then we put him next to Val Kilmer. Um, and God, I think this is at least the third movie that we've done that had Val Kilmer in it on the mm-hmm. show. I know we did Top Gun and Heat. I couldn't think of any others. But I'm apparently getting quite a Val Kilmer education on this show as well. Have you seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? No, but it is on the list. Okay, it better be on the list. If you <laughs> it is. Uh, it was one that one Lonnie of Lonnie's suggested. Favorites too. Yeah. <laughs> I love that movie. Yep. So... Uh, this sort of fits in a certain strata of uh, 80s fantasy for me. Uh, there are other films of this ilk, like Krull, Legend, Masters of the Universe, uh, Time Bandits, The NeverEnding Story. Mandy, your experience of them, can we compare them to any that you have seen? Um, I've seen The NeverEnding Story. Um, I don't know that I would have thought to compare them, but they're similar. Um, I've heard of Krull, but only because of How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, same. <laughs> Matthew, same have you right. seen How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days? I don't think so. I feel like I've seen bits of it. So, oh, you should watch maybe? it. Maybe you should watch it on the show. I feel like Matthew would have a lot to say. Yeah, uh, we've already got our next run of Matthew movies, uh, and this is not one of them. But we'll no, I'll keep it, it in not. my pocket. I'll keep it in my pocket for the next time, um, and then you will understand why. We know who Kroll is from that movie. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, and Rachel, you also listed here Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. Right. I would consider those to be 80s fantasy. Yeah. Uh, we um, did do Dark Crystal on the show, so I've seen that one. But it's puppets. Well, actually, Labyrinth is puppets, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're both um, I think that's why I didn't think of them. Um, right. But I have seen both of those. There's a top layer of really good films that have sort of lasted and become proper hits, such as The Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. And then there's this whole range of kind of fantasy that maybe was made right. five, ten years too early. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. didn't quite hit all the points of the way it should look and the way you should put these things together. That Eventually they worked out, they go through sci-fi, and then you hit the 2000s where you get Harry Potter, you get Lord of the Rings. Um, which I suspect we're yeah. going to compare it to again at some point. <laughs> I think so. I think one thing I really do like about like Willow and say like Willow and Legend um, and Neverending Story, I think, is just that sure we can watch them and go, oh man, the CG or the effects and like that hasn't aged well. But I like to watch them as kind of like you know look what they were doing, like look how ambitious they were, and you know I would say that the things that they were trying and the things they were pushing helped you know get us the movies that look a little better absolutely um, mm. so yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of that just kind of seeing the progression because you know if they were if they decided to wait you know really wait until it was really good then maybe they would have this movie might not have been made i am reminded of another bad 80s fantasy movie that i have seen cool beastmaster 2 okay oh i haven't know. seen beastmaster 1 yeah <laughs> But I have seen Beastmaster 2. And a funny story, um, I used to have uh, some friends before they moved out of state, they would host a bad movie night uh, about once a month. And uh, Beastmaster 2 was one of the movies. Right. Okay. So, um, yeah, we watched Beastmaster 2 through the portal of time. Oh, my. Yeah, if if you open it up, there is then this whole other thing of 
Conan and Red Sonja and Hercules and you know yeah. other fantasy type films, but not necessarily pitched to kids. I think mm-hmm. there's also a number of them that are watchable by mm, kids, teens, yeah, younger, younger viewers. Yeah. Okay, we will get back into that in a minute. However, Mandy, having now seen Willow, did you enjoy it? Oh, I expected to absolutely love it. I mm. mean, fantasy, George Lucas and Ron Howard, it, it had a perfect formula. Um, but I wouldn't seek to watch it again. Like, I wouldn't say, oh, I really need to watch Willow. Um, but if it was on or someone else was watching it, I would watch it again. It's like, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I have some very strong opinions about it, particularly the ending. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely not a favorite. What am I going to ask? Is is it that this, it just didn't grab you? Or is it that it grabbed you, it was interesting from the beginning, and then it sort of fell away or lost you somewhere? I think it didn't grab me from the beginning. Okay. And I, as it went on, I became more invested in it, which is why I have some very definite opinions about how it ended. <laughs> Um, but I it's funny because I was talking to Joseph about it afterwards, and this is one of his favorite movies too. And he was just completely baffled that I didn't just love it, you know. And he made the comment. Um, he said, "You're looking at it through adult eyes and not the wonder of a child." Um, and and he thought that I was kind of missing something when I was talking about it, and it turned out that was the nostalgia factor. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that it's it's one of those things where when you watch it no matter how many times you watch it or how old you get when you watch it, if you first watched it as a kid, you kind of always go back to that first time that you saw it. And so you still feel that wonder that you felt. Um, And since my first time was in 2019, I don't get that. And so I'm missing out on some of the experience, I think. Yeah. I would, I would tend to agree. Like I could see where that would, could be an issue. Um, you know, like I said, I watched it when I was a kid and mm-hmm. multiple times throughout. And even I think this time watching it, I know it's it's been a little while since I've seen it. And I think that I, the way that I view movies now, you know, is much with a much more critical eye, you know, just from multiple perspectives, you know, story being one of them. And that was one of the things I noticed this time. I was like, I'm noticing places where this is kind of a mess, but mm-hmm. I still love it. Yeah. Because I do have that nostalgia and I know so- it can be, you know, hard. Yeah, I think it had a lot of potential. I think the story itself was really, really good. The idea of this queen who's trying to kill this baby because she's afraid it's going to overthrow. I mean, this was straight out of a Disney movie, frankly. Right, right. And and it it even had some moments. God, it was so campy. It had some moments that I referred to as this is straight out of a Disney animated movie. They just did it with real people. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But it it did have a lot of potential, and I feel like the dialogue could have been tightened up, and yeah, um, just a few a few other things. And and I don't know if that's just the nature of it being from the '80s, and now I'm looking at it 30 years later, um, and that's the difference. Or if even somebody watching it in the '80s would have said, "Hey, this could have been done better." I, I'm not sure, but coming to it now, it's definitely. Um, Great idea, not great execution. Yeah. And I think I think some of the writing was, I, mean, I won't even call it like problematic or huge issue, but I think some of the writing could have been tightened up. Mm-hmm. Is, is that from a place of we're making a kid's fantasy film or, or a younger audience fantasy film? So 
who cares? Is it just the fact that it's written in the 80s? So they weren't asking for so much out of their media? That's definitely possible. You know, because also, of course, you know, now here in 2019 and we, um, all of us, and I think especially you and I, Matthew, have seen, you know, the quantity of fantasy and sci-fi that we've mm. consumed um, is, you know, going to inform how we see things. And at the time that it was made, we didn't have that quantity. So you may not, you know, maybe fair. it just yeah. wasn't, mm. you know, a thing that they would like. So so partially because it was the 80s and partially because, you know, they were just like, oh, we're making it for kids. So maybe they just didn't pay as close attention to some things. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know how much story actually impacts it, whether it's the broad strokes of he finds a baby, he takes a baby and wins, or <laughs> if it's a beat-by-beat beat kind I mean, of thing. I mean, it could be. Yeah. I, who knows? Yeah, I had a hard time figuring out who the audience was. Like, who was it supposed to be for? Is it supposed to be a kid's movie? Mm-hmm. Is it supposed to be for older kids? Is it supposed to be for everybody? Just because, I mean, so if you think about the three movies that I compared it to, Snow White... The Ten Commandments and The Lord of the Rings. Um, mm-hmm. Snow White is really the only kids' kids movie on that, mm-hmm. um, and and yeah. so I just I wasn't really sure who this was for. Were they catering to too wide of an audience, or am I just pushing it in a direction it shouldn't be going in? Yeah, and I don't know. And again, if it's like an '80s thing, like you know, if at the time it was kind of oh, it's fantasy, then it's obviously for children. You know, it's kind of like, oh, women writing of uh, sci-fi is oh, is automatically young adult fiction now. Mm-hmm. It's this, you know, this kind of this weird thing that we do. If he had a children's, if they had a children's audience in mind, or if they just said, we're going to do this fantasy thing, and they went, well, it's this, oh, it's fantasy. It's obviously for children. Because I think there's definitely elements that I would say, well, that's not for kids, Right. You know, even like the overall tone of the movie is bleak, but kind of, you know, it's like it's not just like, oh, we have to save a baby and get the baby home. We have to save a baby from an evil queen who Who wants to murder it, who wants to murder it and who does, you know, dark, dark, um, you know, magic. You know, I noticed at the end that she was wearing it looked like she was like wrapped up in weird like mummy rags. That I thought Mm -hmm. was really super odd. And she's wearing you know, it's a very, like, it's not just, oh, dark magic. I mean, there's, like, skulls everywhere, and there's blood and animals and things, so. Yeah, but, you know, all of that was in Snow White. Yeah, it was. And actually, she kind of does look like the witch from, or the queen from Snow White. Mm-hmm. Although, I feel like, Matthew, when we talked about Snow White, did we talk about the audience? Was it intended to be for kids, or was it actually, because it was the first full-length animated feature was it directed more towards adults in the audience i can't remember i don't think we got into it i suspect it is aimed at both okay and that's kind right. of the genesis of disney's being able to hit different audiences mm-hmm. mm. yeah that makes sense but yeah like you i kept flip-flopping on who <clears> those <throat> for because a lot of it feels like it's kind of pitching at the sort of 10 to 13 tween young teen market yeah and then every so often it's like, oh, that's really quite violent. Or, oh, he's grabbed Val Kilmer's breast. Okay. That's a bit extreme. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's some. Sudden, yes. Yeah, suddenly it goes a lot more adult. You're like, uh, I, I'd have a conversation with my kids if they were watching this. Not that I have kids or anyone to talk to, but, you know. 
But if you did. But if I did, I would talk to right. them about this film. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, even looking at, you know, it's rated PG, but yeah, there's quite a bit of violence. And, you, and I think you mm. can have fairly adult movies that are rated PG because our rating system, you know, in this country is based on violence and sexual themes is really, that's, that's our rating. It's, you know, there's quite a bit of violence, but if you, how much blood you show. Exactly. You know, yeah. Makes, makes the difference. So you don't, if you don't actually show anyone getting stabbed, you're okay. Right. Um, I mean, there's dead well, bodies everywhere, but yeah. Yeah. But there's no blood. Exactly. So it's PT. Right. I wouldn't put my five-year-old in front of this movie and walk away. Not to. I mean, I don't have a five-year-old, but if I, <laughs> I would not set, you know, my five-year-old niece in front of this movie and be like, okay, see you in an hour. Mm. Traumatizing. I, I think it was interesting what we were saying about the effects, because I, I think it is the difference between what we see here, where they are stretching and they're trying to do some interesting stuff with overlaying people, with transforming between characters and doing yeah. a, um, a bit of stop motion. And it doesn't quite come off. So they're pushing, but not quite getting there. And I, I wonder if it's that that's keeping it in that kind of second strata of film. Where the Dark Crystal and Labyrinth, they pull them off by and large. They, all the effects work really well. So that's allowed it to continue. Whereas this has been surpassed since. Is that the thing that yeah. is the difference? When did the Dark Crystal come out? 1980. <laughs> 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 ah, Yes. I'm yeah, going to say that, that's a good year. Yeah. That was a good year for movies. 82. Okay. Really? Yeah, those are mostly so practical effects though. Maybe that is the difference because I'm I'm sitting here having all these thoughts about the, the special effects and even like Joseph and I argued about them. You know, I was like they're so bad. You know, and he was like but it was the 80s, you know, and I said Die Hard came out in the 80s and its special effects were wonderful. They still hold up. You know, and and then we went and he was like, yeah, but that was so much later. And we looked it up and it was the same year. They both came out in 1988. Really? You know, and, and, you know, now thinking about the Dark Crystal coming out six years earlier and pulling off their special effects so much more. Maybe it is the difference between the usage of practical effects and actually trying to do special like digital effects like they did with the brownies. I mean, Mm -hmm. because the brownies wasn't a practical effect. You know, and yeah, I, I don't no. remember enough about the Die Hard special effects to know how much may have been practical versus yeah. actually trying well, it, to do this right. other grand stuff. But maybe this movie was trying to do this really big stuff and it just wasn't ready. Yeah. And I think, I mean, because the, the brownies to me is like the big, the big one, I guess, that doesn't, I don't think doesn't age well, but like you notice, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the um, you know, the edges you know, there's, you know, like they, they filmed it and then they cut it out with like, you know, like a big frame. You know, so you, see, you can see the the black edges up against stuff. And sometimes like they're trying to touch something and they're obviously not interacting with it. And you're just like, oh, ouch. Right. But um, in, you know, they didn't in. I mean, it's been a little while since I watched Die Hard, but I don't recall them, you know, shrinking anybody down. <laughs> you know, So they didn't do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Did Hans Gruber. Is there a shrink, a shrink ray involved that I don't remember? But <laughs> no. It was mostly just lots of explosions. Mm. Right. So the like, I think it's also like the type of effects that they yeah. choose to use. Can That's make fair. a difference in movies that are made in the same year. They're like, well, we're going to do explosions because we, you know, that's a thing that we can do and we can do it this way and it'll look good. 
because those are generally, you know, from a distance or you make some little practical effects for the up close and you're pretty much okay. But when you're yeah. shrinking people, because I noticed a couple of times when they were, um, and it's like, I mean, technically this is a practical effect. Uh, when Mad Mardigan and um, Willow are, are riding se- separate horses, you can, I mean, it's obviously that it is obvious that it is not a little person on that horse. Like it's just like a shorter, a shorter person. You know, this right. from a distance, okay. but even like, I'm like, he's up to Mad Bardigan's shoulder. That is not, this is obviously yeah. not work. Right. But, hmm. you know. Okay, maybe I'm being too harsh on the special effects then. Well, I I, I think the last thing is that the c- comparison for me is that it was nominated for um, the Effects Academy Award, but it lost to, oh. it lost to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Which, mm. like, yes, yeah, yeah, that, that yeah. is deserving of okay. that award. Um, Fair enough. But I, it was nominated. Okay. Yeah. I, I think yeah. I can see exactly what they're trying to do, but it's just not quite there in execution. Right. And then uh, particularly that morphing effect at the end is really good. And you can see, yes, that is going to end up being the Terminator in Terminator 2. It right. just takes right. them some time to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've got okay. to give it credit for that. I can give it credit for that. So let's talk a bit on the story and the characters. Mandy, is there anyone you particularly cared for? Were you rooting for them for this child? Did you follow it as it went along? I mean, I was always rooting for Willow on a couple of levels. Um, I wanted him to succeed at saving the baby. And then I also wanted him to kind of grow into himself. You know, he lacked confidence the whole movie. That was part of his character arc. You know, from the very beginning, he thought his choice for, you know, which finger holds all of the power in the universe was stupid. And it was actually the right answer. But he didn't do it because he thought it was stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so you've got this whole arc throughout the whole thing, even when he's trying to change what's her face back. She's constantly encouraging him, you know, believe it, believe in yourself while you're doing it. You have to really see it and you have to know that you can do it. Um, and so I was really invested in him becoming the character that they were leading us to him becoming. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They just didn't. Yeah. So we can talk about that when we talk about the end, unless you want me to talk about it now. I think so. Yeah. Let's get into it. <laughs> so this is the thing that I have so many strong feelings, feelings about because the ending of this movie pisses me off. I was okay. so mad. Like I was shouting at the TV. And then when I was talking to Joseph about it, I was shouting at him too because Willow deserved better. Like he absolutely deserved better. He was supposed to find the courage to use the wand and defeat the evil queen. Not this bullshit powers that be defeating her just like they did in Snow White. You know, and then he gets his confidence from a magic book off screen and suddenly appears at home and he can do magic. That is completely letting us down from what they were trying to build up in the movie. Like we were supposed to see him overcome his confidence. He was supposed to be able to use the wand, defeat the evil queen, and then actually be in himself. And we don't get any of that until after he gets back home. And it's because he read this book that we didn't even get to see him read in practice. It's just all of a sudden he gets home and he can like throw this thing in the sky and it turns into a bird. No, I'm sorry. That is not okay. And Willow deserved better. Do you think it would have worked um, 
like if if the book had been there, like when he found um, was it Ra I must pronounce her name is it Roselle? Like I want to say Raziel, which is kind mm. of how it's spelled, but that's not how they pronounce it. It's like Roselle. Mm. You know, if she if he found her and the book at the same time, so he had access to the book while he was trying to turn her back. Yes, if we had seen him like practicing out of the book the entire journey after he met yeah. her, that would have made so much more sense. Mm-hmm. But he still would have needed to be the thing. Right. Like, he needed to be the hero. He, For this story to have a satisfying ending for me, he needed to be the one who overcame himself to take on the evil queen. Like For a while, I thought Rizal was going to do it. But then she didn't do it. You know, she got knocked out. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. This whole idea that the powers that the evil queen were calling on would end up being the powers that defeated her. Like, I guess in some sort of way that has a sense of satisfaction tied to it. But it doesn't make sense for the story that we're being told. Because this was Willow's right. story. Right. And yeah. Willow was hiding. You know, he got to steal the baby, but he didn't get to defeat the evil queen. And I just feel like that's disappointing. Right. Like it situationally worked out okay, but he didn't actively. Right. Defeat her. Yeah. Is that how you feel, Rachel? What's your take on the, the, certainly his culmination to the story? Yeah. Um, No, I think I will agree that his, um, there are parts of that that are not satisfying. Like, I definitely see, you know, what you're saying, Mandy. Um, though at the same time, I think there's also what they were trying to do, and I don't know if it landed, I guess, um, is that even though, like, he wasn't himself at that point, you know, able to defeat her. Like, he didn't point the wand at her and, you know, cause her to disappear. Um, but what he was able to do in that, you know, while all that was going on is that he was able to protect the baby and he was able to use um, his existing skill set, I suppose would be a good term, to um, hide her from the queen while this other stuff was happening so that she so that the baby was ultimately safe at the end. So it's a weird mix of while we do want him to have those, you know, have that power and explore that power. And we're really excited. He gets the book and that he's able to turn an apple into a dove at the end, because that's what he wanted. There's also, you know, part of that you, it's, it's like this weird, like the power was within you the whole time, which it was, but also the person that you were at the beginning was good enough to save the baby because it wasn't anything he magically did ultimately that, you know, he does like the magic trick, mm-hmm. the big trick or whatever. Like that wasn't magic, except I'm sorry, how'd you get the baby from here to there? But whatever. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's supposed to be, you know, it's supposed to be this sleight of hand thing. You know, so that's cool. So then that's a, a power or skill that he had at the beginning of the movie. So it's kind of this, I think, an amalgamation of both. Like he was already worthy. Mm-hmm. But as... But he also gets to have that magic because that's what he ultimately wants. Yeah, I just I feel like like even if he wasn't the one who actually destroyed the evil queen, I feel like he should have been the one to do the thing that triggers her downfall instead of right all of a sudden these powers that 
we're aligned with her suddenly are killing her. And we we don't know why that happened. Is it just because suddenly the baby lives? Like, it's, um, it I think it's the lightning. Sense. I think it was like, I think it's a, I believe it's like a spell gone awry kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah. Like the last bit was supposed to, you know, take the baby, but the baby wasn't, was in the wrong spot. So it just took what was there and said, which was the queen. Mm. And it's a little, um, and it's one of those parts that I, you know, I got to talk about the writing could be a little bit tighter. There's yeah. some things I'm like, I think that's what happened, but I'm not sure. And mm-hmm. if we're not, you know, it's kind of one of those, well, we're not sure because it may be a little bit sloppy on the writing angle. Yeah. Like, I don't need everything explained to me, but yeah, if we're not really sure what happened, that's a problem. Yeah. But, no, I, I definitely, and I, I see what you're saying and I, and I do. I do agree with you. I also kind of think, you know, they were they were trying to do a thing that kind of sort of landed. And I, get, I mean, I guess it's good that I was invested enough in the story and enjoyed it enough to be angry about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes the difference. <laughs> See, I, I, I think that's what really surprised me about your reaction is like I expected you to really like that ending. It's It's incredibly similar to what he does with. Luke Skywalker's ending and spoilers for Star Wars here but the the point of <laughs> you know he tells us throughout the film I'm a pretty good pilot myself a target want rats in my T-18 and then he's the, the one who's able to destroy the Death Star with those innate skills in this Willow we're told he knows the right answer that he's the most powerful and his finger is the most powerful but it's mm-hmm. in the end he realizes it that the skill he already has is the thing that can get Alora to protection or, or basically out of the reach of the queen. And that then means that the spell can't be controlled anymore because the focus of it is gone. I think I think you're exactly right. There is no real explanation for why she loses control, but that's... Mm-hmm. It happens. Well, I mean, if you're going to yeah. be all logical about it. But, but I like that it's... It's not that he's given a wand, he's given a book, he's given magic powers specifically. He has a skill that he then brings to the situation. And hey, it's the skill that was needed. Congrats. Yeah. Although I, I think like the trick works earlier with the pig and everyone's really... Everyone's like, wow, that's a really good trick. And it's only because yeah. the pig runs off that everyone laughs at him. So this one right. only works because the baby can't crawl yet. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that's true. And I'm sorry, well, and also... The baby is like in some kind of weird, like bondage contraption. Yes. <laughs> the baby is about ten by that point. So. <laughs> so can we talk about the other character that I had problems with? Cool. Particularly in the character development arena, Sorsha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, okay. So, well, first of all, there's this whole underlying like patriarchy bullshit going on in this movie because <laughs> when uh, Willow's trying to give the baby to. Eric, um, Eric's like, no, just find a woman to take care of her. You know, I was like, that's bullshit. But then, you know, Source has been built up to be this great warrior princess who would never betray her mother. Like her mother trusts Sorsha before she trusts her own advisors. You know, she says that up front. And Sorsha decides to betray her because of a love spell with no words ever spoken. She's just suddenly on... Val Kilmer side because yeah she's objectifying him and he has really pretty hair and great abs you know I mean and he looks good in a dress he does look good in a dress <laughs> he looks good in everything in this movie 
But yeah, she does. had no character development. She just went from, I'm going to kill the baby for my mother, to suddenly, because Val Kilmer has declared his love for her and declared that she is his moon, she mm-hmm. just wistfully stares at him across the battlefield and then realizes that she can't kill him because she probably loves him too. But we only get that through her looking at him. Like, she never yeah. says anything, and she chooses to save Alora and be on their side with no words. Even at the end, she doesn't speak until she, like, yells, Mother, no, or something like that. And it's just bullshit character development. Yeah, it is weird. And that is something that um, I think I've... I'm sure the first time I watched it probably didn't notice, but I think, you know, maybe once I was a teenager... It's kind of like, it's, it's a little strange. You know, her behavior is, you know, it, it's not consistent. And like you, you said, you know, character development, lack of character development. Um, and now, you know, they have vocabulary for it. I'd say like her, her character, what we know about her character is mostly informed. Yes. Like, you, yeah, like you said, she's supposed to be this great warrior princess. Well, you know, we're told that she's this great warrior princess and she does seem to be able to hold her own when she does fight. But, you know, with what her original motivations are and how they change, we don't know. Like, Yeah, they had a lot of room for telling us this really great transformative story about her. Yeah. And, I mean, I understand this is not her story. This is Willow's story. But Willow's story could have been made better if Sorsha's character was more fleshed out, I think. Like right. The whole final because I think- showdown could have been done differently and could have been done better if they had given Sorsha an actual character arc instead of yeah. just... Yeah. Like, I don't I know. Think they just like, abandoned her. I think there's an argument to be made that um, what was what was needed, like a like specific like inciting incident-wise, I think what is missing for Sorsha is like... For her to see something um, that causes her to go, wait a second, my mother is the baddie, mm-hmm. and this child is worth saving, and what the child sta- represents, or like what Willow protecting the child represents, yes, is better than the alternative, and we don't have that. If like Willow and Sorsha had had an interaction, or like Willow and Sorsha with the baby had had some kind of interaction, and you know she'd seen like how like why does Willow care because this this child is a human child and it's not his world. Like, why does he care about that? You know, and then start to think about like how she might care about things that are not, you know, she's, she should care about things outside of what her mother cares about. You know, like we don't ever see that until she's just like, Oh, this guy's pretty. And I guess since he likes this baby, I like this baby. Exactly. That's all we get. Mm. She, she never changes her mind about the baby. Like, Right. It feels like she can either save the baby or kill the baby. It doesn't matter because the baby doesn't matter to her. What matters to her is whether or not she's pleasing her mother to start with or all mm-hmm. of a sudden she's pleasing Mad Mardigan because she's miraculously in love with him. Right. And this is what he wants. She has no agency. She has no self-opinions. Like, she has nothing of her own. She is yeah. just there to mirror what the people around her do. Right. And I think, um, like what, when I was watching the scene, uh, the fight scene where she's just standing there and watching Mad Mardigan this time around, 
I think you know, it kind of occurred to me. I was like, you know, I really, I enjoy a good, you know, slap, slap, kiss, kiss as much as the next person. Like that's mm-hmm. fine. This, you know, um, you know, enemies to lovers story. Fine. Like that, that doesn't bother me, but right. we don't actually like see anything. You know, there's no like, oh, um, like he doesn't save her life while escaping or, you know, like just none of those moments. Like, yeah, you know, moments where he could kill her, but doesn't like that doesn't happen. It's just. And the scene in the tent when he has when he's under the love spell and he's saying all these things about how much he loves her, like she's just standing there looking at him as if. No one has ever noticed her as a woman before, as if no one has ever told her she's pretty. Which I was like, as if, oh my God, he's the first person ever to notice her. Which I was like, well, I don't, and I'm just like, that's just me inferring. Like, that's what it kind of felt like to me. We don't know because she doesn't say that. Mm -hmm. Like, why would him saying those things to her make any difference? Well, I mean, I can believe that just because of who her mother is. You know, she's probably right. her mother has True. probably never told her that she loves her. You know, and I that's know true. that's a that's a princess trope. I get it. Right. Um, right. It could have been done so much better. I think it is where I'm yes. coming from on this. Like she's a good character and she had so much potential and they just didn't use her the way they should have. Right. So I think the other character that we've not really touched on then is Val Kilmer, Van Maltigan. And we talked Willow's journey. We've talked that we really want Sorsha to actually have something. And mm-hmm. I think you're exactly right. It is fixed by a line of, well, in either direction. You know, how can you support your mother where what she wants to do is kill babies? Or how can you kill babies when they haven't done anything yet? That is that is the wrong yeah. thing to do. Your mother is obviously bad. So, but like, oh, it's such a simple fix. Mm-hmm. Does he actually have a yeah. story in this, Val Kilmer? Is he just there? Is he Indiana Jones? Oh. I think he does. I Because I think he falls in love with Alora the same way Willow does. Honestly. Okay. And so I buy him wanting to protect both of them in the last half of the movie. Yeah. I was disappointed that he betrayed them. But I get it. I mean, he's he was set up to portray them from the beginning. You know, I mean, I was honestly surprised that the brownies stole the baby from him and that he didn't give the baby to the brownies. You know, I was expecting him from that point to betray them. Um, right. And so it, it didn't surprise me that he did eventually, even though he had already realized he loved Alora at that point, you know, it, it takes a lot for a leopard to change his spots. And I, I think yeah. he needed yeah. more time to get there and then he got it, you know, because he ended up they were all captured together and he had more time with them and he had more time of building those relationships and so when it came time to escape it wasn't just about him anymore and so i appreciated his arc i thought they did his fairly well i think there's an element of um you know like they they make a point when we first meet him to say that he's he doesn't have any um loyalties right like he's a sellsword he doesn't he's you know maybe probably a um a sword for hire right like that's you know, that's what he is he doesn't have he has allegiance to whoever is paying whoever is paying him he's like he's brawn from game of thrones you know mm-hmm. give me money i'll do whatever um you know they te- they tell us that you know like he doesn't have loyalty to anybody and then so basically what he is is a man looking for something to believe in 
And then he does, you know, and I do totally believe that he falls in love with the baby and that is his something to believe in. So I do think he does have an arc and they do a fairly decent job of showing it to us. Like you said, you know, the, he, the baby gets stolen by the brownies and he perhaps is like, well, that really sucks, but okay, whatever. But then when he has an opportunity to like fix that, um, you know, to protect the baby, he does. And that's the point I think at which he's like, he's all in, mm-hmm. I think. Um, you know, when he makes a, that choice to like not run the opposite direction from Willow and the baby or just be like, get off, you know, get off my apple cart with that baby. This is my, this is my escape. You know, they're in it together and he's protecting both of them at that point. So I think that's, to me, is when he kind of makes that decision to be, to choose a side. It's interesting because even though this movie is called Willow and we know it's supposed to be Willow's story, I'm not sure the screenplay writer knew that because he gave Mad Mardigan a better arc than he gave Willow. Interesting. Because I... I don't think I, I i think i can see that point of he's protecting them in the middle sequences i'm just not sure he particularly does anything to really help a, a lot of it is willow with the baby going through stuff and then sometimes there's a big fight scene with lots of stuff going on but you don't know well there is a, a not small chance that uh if my bardicon wasn't there it wouldn't turn out the same way anyway and then at the end, it is Willow and the women go to defeat Beth Morda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, I, I keep, I think I keep waiting for his moment. Oh, he's done the thing that's going to save everyone. And I don't feel like it ever comes. Well, but he's not supposed to because it's not his story. Yeah. Um, but there there were moments, particularly with the the big troll beast, I think. And, and that whole fight scene where Sorsha was just standing there staring at Val Kilmer. Yeah, yeah. You know, he it, that that was his big moment, I mm. think, his fighting there. Okay. Um, I think so. And, then, and it, then, you know, he did do the fighting off screen that we didn't see at the castle when we were focusing on what was happening during the ritual with the evil queen. You know, he was still outside fighting. Mm. We just didn't get to see that part. But he because he was trying to keep the, the soldiers from getting to them. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I do um, agree with you, Mandy, that um, yet he doesn't have to have his big hero moment because it isn't his movie. Yeah, that's right. I think he has, he has an arc and we do see him. I think we see him change as a character into a better person, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't have to change it to a better person and have a big hero moment. Because it isn't his movie, um, but he does have a little more development than Willow, which is, is a little—it's a bit lopsided. Yeah, but he's the—he's the white, you know, he's the the white hetero dude, so he's got well, a solid art. Yeah, I, I, that is, I think, the reason he's there, uh, and particularly because of the way Val Kilmer looks in this. Um, we got a couple of good tweets on it. So at underscore Amanda three one three had to watch this tonight. Must have been a good twenty years or so. I remember debating as a youngster if I was going to marry Bad Martigan or Jareth. I'm still torn to be honest. Fave part whenever Sorsha kicks Mads. And at Mad Max Mum, loved that movie as a kid. Haven't shown it to my kids yet, but my memory that soon. I've always loved Valkyrie was here. I think that might be the reason he's here. Is because he's quite pretty. He is quite pretty. Yes, 
Like, is there anybody who doesn't want that head of hair? I mean, come on. I, I will say, if your decision is between Val Kilmer or David Bowie, I, I'm pretty sure it's Jareth. <laughs> Not for me. Really? I think really. It's a very different aesthetic, and I would kind of... Yeah, I think I'm with you, Mandy, because... I mean, Jareth, I'm like, he's... I'd say he, like, he's pretty. And I will say that, oh, Val Kilmer looks pretty, but I would... I think I'd go with Mad Mardigan as well. Like, aesthetically. It's more... Yeah. 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 I'm on my own, me and Ziggy, <laughs> over here in the corner. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> I think, though, it is interesting um, just to talk about Val Kilmer a little mm. bit more. Um, you know, the the types of movies. You, you kind of, like, look at actors and the types of movies they've been in and the different choices that they've made. Um, because, and you may have talked about this um, when you talked about Top Gun and I just, it's been a little while since I listened to that episode, but you know, like Val Kilmer and Tom Cruise, you know, cause they're, you know, approximately like they're about what the same age they, they've been making movies about the same length of time. Mm-hmm. Um, Val Kilmer did this movie. Tom Cruise was in legend. Um, I don't know if like you could kind of make a comparison between the types of movies that they made after and kind of the, ways that their careers have gone. Um, kind of an interesting comparison, I think. Between yeah. the two, I think I would... I, I like some of what Tom Cruise has done. I like stuff that Tom Cruise did um, you know, 20 years ago, more than stuff that he's done recently. But that's just, you know, choices. I don't, you know... Also, I think he's a little woohoo bananas. But um, <laughs> I think, you know, if I, if, so, if I had to pick... You know, between Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer, I'd probably pick Val Kilmer. Interesting. But but they are very similar, you know, pretty similar in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, I think Tom Cruise has made better choices with the films he's done. Has he, though? When you look at about the same time that um, Batman Forever comes out and Mission Impossible comes out, <laughs> and Val Kilmer goes on to do... True. Uh, what the island of Doctor Moreau and Red oh, yeah. Planet, and you know you've got someone else off doing Vanilla Sky and Interview with a Vampire and yeah. uh, films that just have a better lasting quality to them. True, though I also sometimes wonder if, um, you know, I I just assume that assuming that Val Kilmer doesn't regret any of those decisions, even if they weren't, you know, the big. The bigger movies, if he, you know, made better creative choices for himself or not. I think maybe that's something I sometimes think about, you know, like, oh, he was in that movie. But hey, if he enjoyed it and he thinks he did okay, then I guess he's doing okay over, you know, yeah, like you said, Vanilla Sky and um, some of those and Mission Impossible. I think there's too many Mission Impossible movies, but that's just me personally. (laughs) So... So we had another comment from a friend of the show, Mandy's co-host on Desire Made Real, at Inferior Caitlin. Caitlin said, genuinely think this is the best fantasy movie made pre-Lord of the Rings. So many amazing women characters, and Bath Mordor aside, they all live. Don't read the book sequels. I think this is the only fantasy movie I've seen that utilises people with dwarfism as a separate race from humans and gives them so much of a cultural and wide range of personalities. I honestly don't know if they've ever been given that in movies. They're always just a goofy goofy dwarf with who shows up with a big axe. 
Now, this is the bit where I then want to talk about Billy Barty, who played the uh, sorcerer. Whose the name? High Aldwin. High Aldwin. Yes. Um, Didn't have a name. That's his title, I think. The the Nelwyn Wizard. So he played a dwarf character in a fantasy movie just before this. He is Gwildor from Master of the Universe. And you can absolutely see it. The two characters are not too different at all. But if we're talking um, a different race and you, you're hiring people who might um, have dwarfism or other things to allow them to play it, he is also the the rotoscope film for Bilbo in... And and I think Sam in the animated Lord of the Rings. Oh, I did not know that. So I think Hobbits are kind I of... I should have known. They're very much the origin for the idea of the Nailwind. But having Billy Barty, because yeah. he's just so enthusiastic and kind of giggly and happy. He's wonderful. I think, I think Mandy, he particularly appealed to you, some of the stuff he did. He did. I really liked um, a couple of his lines that he had um, where he was trying to be this masterful sorcerer and like keep all that bluster up in front of the townspeople and you know mm. he like throws the bones and then whispers to Willow the bones tell me nothing but then to the entire town you know he gets the information he needed from Willow and he let the town know that the bones told him mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty spectacular um, and then he had another moment just like it when you know he's trying to get them all to follow the bird and then they're like the bird's going going back to the village and he's like ignore the bird follow the river you know and so just he's very enthusiastically into portraying this high wizard but getting it wrong and then still figuring out how to make it right it just it tickled Mm -hmm. me it tickled me a lot yeah i really liked the whole um i mean that that whole i'll say society or the whole race you know that that, and that was one of the things I think about this movie that I was like, I want, I wanted more of that. Like I want more of Willow. I want more Willow and his family. I want, mm. you know, what's, what's their life like? What's their world like? Because I did. Yeah. I definitely appreciated, you know, that we see them as a whole, um, whole culture and a wide range of personalities, which Caitlin's right. We don't see that very often. Um, I think, you know, maybe we see it in books, but we haven't seen it on the screen. Mm-hmm. And I would have, you know, kind of liked to see more of that. And also, um, like <laughs> when he when he goes to leave, and his wife just like is like, "Oh, here is like a chunk of my hair." It's like, <laughs> is this a cultural thing? Like, <laughs> and and it never comes up again. <laughs> like, like, oh, is there like some weird like power inherent with carrying your spouse's hair around? No, it's just. You know, you think a lock of hair? Well, how about a whole hank of hair? Yeah. Just <laughs> like that's weird. Like I don't hate it, but I'm also like, I don't. Okay. That's funny. I apparently I missed the part where she gave him the hair. Um. So later on in the movie, whenever he is like petting the braid that's tucked into his jacket, I'm like, where did that come from? <laughs> I was so confused. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I would like to see more. Of you know the village, that world, mm-hmm. that life. I think. Yeah. And are are there things in this film, Rachel, that you can pull out and say that is my absolute favorite, or is it just the whole thing? Is it is still a delight to you? Um. I think oh, favorite. I mean, as awful, as horrible as the whole like cross dressing, kind of sexual assault weird 
um, you know, no homo thing with um, Mad Mardigan dressed as a woman. You know, that whole bit is a little bit strange in parts. I really, I really enjoy like the end of it where he's like, you know, in the dress and going, um, what is it like? He goes off the side of the balcony and into the, into the wagon and Willow is just running after him yelling, Mad Mardigan, Mad Mardigan. And I feel like it's something that we just used to yell when we were kids. <laughs> okay. Like, like it just like, or if we were, you know, you know, what movie do you want to watch? Oh, we want to watch Mad Mardigan. Well, it's Willow. But it's just like repeatable. I don't know. Nice. Yeah. I think I think that whole sequence, you know, like him going over the side and he's got the baby, he's in the dress and he's in the the wagon and then Willow's behind him and they're, you know, just riding off and the brownies. I think that whole sequence, if if I were to say like my favorite part, that would be it. Because it also um it works pretty well, I think, overall. Even, you know, that bit at the end where he's like, you know, never drive that fast with an infant. I saved that infant's life. Yeah, the, the, the whole the whole car sequence is very good. It is properly yeah. exciting, and there is some really good again, sort of practical effects of the car and the way it's moving. Right. Yeah, they do a lot of good good and, work there. And even the bit with um, yeah, so they have a chariot, okay, and this guy, random random ninja throwing star, and then also yeah. a mace. <laughs> I was like, and that's one of the bits where I'm like, I can't, like, if I get to, like, pay too close attention, I'm just like, I don't understand, like, what the rules are. Because <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just, like, random fighting people. <laughs> this doesn't make sense. Is he a ninja? No, he's doesn't. I don't think he's a ninja, but he just has a random throwing star. There's a mace, some weird, you know, this funny looking chariot. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I really enjoy that bit. Amanda, how about you? What what did you particularly enjoy? What stood out to you in this? Well, I mean, we've already talked about Val Kilmer's hair, so that's the first thing. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Um, I think I really, really loved how um, hard Willow tried to keep his family away from the baby at the beginning. Mm. Um, yeah. He, when, when he realizes that the his children have found this baby, he, he walks up to them and he goes, don't go near it. We don't know where it's been. And it just cracked me up because, you know, that's what parents say to their kids when they find stuff on the floor that they want to put in their mouth. <laughs> it just, it cracked me up. I don't know. Um, and then later, after he gets the baby home, he's just very stern. Absolutely under no condition whatsoever is anyone in this b- family to fall in love with that baby. And then they all fall in that love with that baby. Very good. Yeah. Because, you know, he's just being utterly ignored. Yes, yes. Um, right. I, I like the way he delivered that line. Like he was trying so hard to put his foot down, and uh, it just it didn't work. And then of course he fell in love with the baby too. So hmm. it just it tickled yeah. me. I liked it. Yeah, War- Warwick Davis is very charming. I think. Yes, he's very good. Um, and, and it's yes, it's interesting the difference between like him and Peter Dinklage. Peter Dinklage has always said he he doesn't want to play dwarves and pixies and fantastical creatures yeah he just wants to play straight characters mm-hmm. but i feel like some of that is off the back of the work done by warwick davis to show actually you can still deliver a good performance even and even if you're cast as a race of people of that stature or as right. goblins or dwarves or something mm-hmm. well what about you matthew you you haven't been super vocal this episode were there other yeah. things besides <laughs> billy barty that you liked about this movie 
Uh, we've not mentioned the brownies, and we didn't mention him last week, which perhaps we should have done. Kevin Pollock was one of the brownies, and like you say, Rachel, I have no idea which one. <laughs> the the smarter one, the the Ted to the Bill. Um, he was yeah. uh, rule. Okay. Sure. I only know this because I looked them up. I was like, I know that face. Who is he? And so then I looked up both brownies and, and saw which yeah. character they played. So that's why I know this. Yeah. So Kevin Pollock seems to be cropping up in everything at the moment. I, I've recently finished um, season one of The Amazing Mrs. Maisel. And he is yep. the, the man's father yeah. in that. And he's really good in that. He's not Tony Shalhoub. He's great. Let's, let's be clear. Tony Shalhoub is the best thing in that. <laughs> but we saw, we saw him last week in Wayne's World 2. And then he crops yes. up in this. It's like... Oh hey, it's that dude again. It is, yeah. I've like I said, I recognized his face, but I still couldn't really tell you what he's been in. Yeah. Um, other than he was in a few good men. I know that. But I've seen him in other things. Yeah, me too. And I think there's a bit at the end, um, you know, where they're all like celebrating and he takes off his hat with that weird mouse he's wearing on his head and mm-hmm. he's like you know, bald. And I was like, This I feel like this movie is proof that Kevin Pollock has never actually had hair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. him and um Stanley Tucci like I'm like they they just, I think they have never had hair. <laughs> like, the only time I've ever seen them play a character with hair is when they're like playing like a flashback of their whatever character they're playing and they're like, "Oh, well we'll make them look younger by giving them hair." Mm-hmm. So it's not actually them it's not like that actor with their own hair. Mm. Like I just don't think they've ever had hair. Yeah, um, Mitch Pledgey, who played A.D. Skinner in the X-Files, he, I, I've heard him talking and yeah. saying, like, it was really good losing my hair early, because then it's just gone. And you can play pretty much any age at that point. Yeah. Right, right. Matthew, did you know that Kevin Pollack was also in L.A. Story? Was he? Is he one of the people at the the lunch scene? I think so. Okay. His character name was Frank Swan. So that's just the thing. He is just cropping up everywhere at the moment. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. So weird. And there is a sequence that I feel is the clip that is always used to show Willow anytime I've seen it in adverts or, you know, on, on other movie shows, that kind of thing. The bit where Val Kilmer is told he's pretty good at something, flips the sword, falls over on the snow, and then they have to race off down the hill on the back of a shield. I, I feel like that is the clip that's always used for this film. And, and with good reason. Like, it is quite funny. It's got high action and so on. But the rest of the film is fairly sort of grimy. It's in castles and it's in forest and it's a bit dark. And then suddenly you have this sequence in the snow and it's bright and there's action going on. And then we're back in a forest castle place. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's almost like false advertising. That's the bit of it you always seem to see. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they they do the action quite well in this. So that is a, a very fun sequence. All right. Well, is there anything else that we need to discuss about Willow? So I discovered um, on Wikipedia that apparently there are one or two video games. There's something on Nintendo, a, a Willow like, role-playing game on Nintendo from the 80s. Um, but also most interesting to me was that in March of this year, Ron Howard confirmed that there is a TV show in development which I believe would take place after the events of the movie. And it's supposed to be on uh, the Disney Plus platform and will include Warwick Davis. Cool. Okay. I'd be interested to see mm. that. Yeah. 
Disney's working really hard to make sure that they've got all this new stuff that make people want to subscribe to yeah. Disney+. Plus. Yeah, they're getting all kinds of interesting possibilities on that. And I think even this story would work uh, with a bit more time given to it. You know, it, it is a very Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones sort of thing. Um, yeah, so a bit more space for it to in, in, in get more information about some of these cultures we've seen, some of the stuff of magic in the world. and Clearly it has yeah. a history to it, given how long Finn Valsiel's been um, a possum. Sorry, I'm reading an article about this. Okay. <laughs> I got interested okay i can read it later yeah. sorry all right well if you would like to join the conversation you can use the hashtag pc deprived on twitter you can find us on twitter facebook and instagram at eloquent gushing or you can send an email to podcast at eloquent gushing.com rachel thank you so much for joining us this was a lot of fun and a really good movie to bring on so it's quite quite uh, a fun one to watch where can people find your work you can find me on twitter at farflung hope five um, all kinds of ramblings there. I don't know if I would call it my work, but um, <laughs> I also tweet for my podcasts, the detective, the doctor and the woman and walking out the Twitter for that is at three S Regina's. Uh, we are currently doing uh, Sherlock BBC Sherlock season two on detective doctor and the woman. And then I believe we're going to take a short break over the summer, but we've got a number of number of episodes there if that is of any interest to you at all. Awesome. Go check it out. Pop Culture Deprived is completely funded by listeners like you through Patreon. Anything you can give, even $1 a month, it gives access to exclusive content and helps to support the network. To find out more, go to patreon.com slash eloquentgushing and check out the other shows that we do at our homepage, eloquentgushing.com. And we'll be back next week with another episode where we'll talk about adventures and babysitting with Justine from the Cutaways podcast. Until next time, I'm Andy Kay. And don't call me a peck. <laughs> Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing. <laughs>